Amen. One more item of uh, information that I wanted to let you uh, be aware of, and that is uh, Elise Payne fell a couple of days ago and had uh, surgery yesterday. She did quite a bit of damage in her shoulder, and they had to do a, a shoulder replacement and some reconstruction. She is right now over at Memorial North Park, but they're asking to not have any visitors right now. Uh, that the, uh, Between the medication and, and the severity of it, they're just asking, not yet. So pray for them, but give them a little bit of room. As we come this morning to uh, the scripture, we're in John chapter 11, verses 17 to 25, where Jesus makes the amazing, the uh, astounding statement that he is the resurrection, that he is the life. And this has radical theological and spiritual and practical implications for us who believe in Jesus. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 11. Verses 17 to 25, hear then the word of God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in her house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we gather this morning as your people, we gather ourselves to you. We sit at your feet. We long to learn of you, to know you, to love you, and to experience your power in our lives, that we might be like Christ, that we might be godly, that we might be your people, not just in word, and not because we gather, but because you have raised us from the dead and are doing that work within us. It can only be accomplished by a risen Christ. So we come to you now and ask for you to speak these words to us afresh. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. This is to make clear that Lazarus is all dead. Not partly dead. He's not mostly dead. He's all dead. And there actually was some teaching at this time that the spirit lingered with the body for three days. But on the fourth day, it was a sure thing. So he is, he's all dead, not mostly dead. And later on, they're going to say he's been in there. When Jesus mentions opening the tomb, they're going to tell him uh, by now, it's been four days, it's going to be a little on the stinky side. It's going to smell. The town is full of visitors from Jerusalem. They come to console the family. They're gathered around and meeting in the home and just being with them, weeping with them. Mary gets word that Jesus is finally coming. 
Word went out to him right away, but he lingers a couple of days, takes a day to travel. Jesus finally is coming. Mary runs out to meet him, goes to him on the road, and she has a little speech prepared. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, there are two ways to hear that, just to mention there, there is, and it's hard to tell on some of these, to get what was the tone of voice? You know, what was, what was the body language? What was the posture? Was she saying... If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. A reprimand. You know, I'm disappointed in you, Jesus. Why didn't you come? If you had been here, you know, but even now, you know, you can do something for us. You know, on the other hand, you could say, uh, we know that if you'd been here, you're the healer. And even now, you're the healer. And that, that it's a statement of faith, of confidence in Jesus and his ability. I tend to lean toward the second one, or the first one, that she's disappointed with him. There are some reasons for that, but we're not going to touch those this morning. Jesus reassures her. Even now you can do something. And Jesus reassures her, tells her, your brother will rise again. To which Martha responds in faith, doesn't she? Her, her answer is a response of faith. I know he will. I believe he will. Jesus taught the resurrection of the dead. She's a follower of Christ, and when he says, your brother will rise again, she says, I know he will, Lord. On the last day, when the dead are raised, I know my brother will come uh, and rise with your people. In verse 25, then, Jesus says it. That off the wall, over the moon, now for something completely that you did not expect. And he answers her, and he says to her, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And the one who lives and believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. I am the resurrection and the life. This is the, at least the fifth of Jesus' I am statements. These statements that go above and beyond. These, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And I am the resurrection and the life. It goes beyond teaching them about something, to claiming to be something, right? We said, and we touched some of those other ones, these are, this is an ontological statement, as the philosophers would say. It's a statement about what Jesus is in himself, about his being, about his essence, about what he is. And he says, I am. I'm not just teaching you about a resurrection that will happen someday. I am resurrection. I am life. Now, in the future, presently, physically, spiritually, he may as well have said, at this point, he may as well have said to Martha, I am God. I mean, do you see the things that Jesus says are the prerogatives of God? Jesus takes himself, this plays in heavily as the church through the centuries have developed their understanding of, the, of who Jesus is and the divinity of Christ, that he is God, or the doctrine of the Trinity. And as we have worked that out as a church wrestled with it, and a lot of it is this, this interchange and this interplay that the prerogative, Jesus takes the prerogatives of God to himself. Right? He claims things, powers, authorities, and this kind of stuff that belong to God. And so he claims it for himself. 1 Timothy 6.13, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. 
Paul understands, even as he understands Christ and has worked this out for himself, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. This is standard. This is theology 101, right? God is the creator. God is the author of life. God is the giver of life. God is, when somebody somebody is going to say, I am the life, right? That's God's prerogative. That's who God is. God is the author of life. He creates out of nothing. And whatever life there is, is a derived, given life that comes from God himself and God only. And he is the only one. He, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're talking about death. And we're talking about life. And this is God's prerogative. But Jesus claims it. He says, I, ego eimi, I am who I am, who is the resurrection and the life. But of course, Paul, who says it's, it's the presence of God who gives life to all things. The next verse I put right under that in your bulletin, Colossians 1, Paul also understands that this is Christ, right? By him, that is Jesus, all things were created. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the giver, right? So by Jesus, by him, all things are created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is God the Son, the Lord of creation, the author of life and the Lord of life, and he holds the keys of life and death. So in verses 25 and 26, he says, if you believe and die, you will live. And if you believe and you live, you will live. And the common there is the believing. So whether you live or die, if you believe, life is the outcome, right, that Jesus claims. If you believe and live, you will never die. You will have everlasting life. He gives life, he says, then the the, 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 the necessary component here, the recipients of this life that the Creator gives, he says, is if you believe, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Life is in the Son, or the Bible tells us. Life is in Christ, who is the resurrection, and the life is in the Son. And he who has the Son by faith has life. He who has not the Son has not life. Right? To have the Son by faith, whoever believes in me and so comes into relationship with me as Lord, as Savior, as, as the one who is the giver of life, he who has the Son has everything. So how do we know, though, Jesus? How do we know, Jesus, this is an incredible claim. And some people would step back and say, whoa, right, over the moon, over the top. Anybody could say that. How do I know? How do I know we're not going to end up in a South American country drinking Kool-Aid? How do I know? How do I know that what, that what you say is true? How do I know that you are what you say you are? This is the point of so many of Jesus' miracles. They're pointers. They're signs. They're meant to reveal. They're meant to tell. In other words, they are meant to point to his identity and his authority. And as he stands here, a lot of his miracles, as you see, when he claims, I am the light of the world, one of the places he says that, he gives sight to the blind. He gives light, the ability to see, 
life. You know, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is going to then step up and he is going to demonstrate who he is, right? This is the way, if you remember the story where the guy is lowered through the roof and and they dig a hole through the thatch and the guy has been paralyzed all of his life, he's been lame, and so they lower him down because the crowd was too great, so they make a hole and they lower the guy down and Jesus looks at the guy and and he makes a proclamation. He says, your sins are forgiven. Again, that's a prerogative of God. Who can, and that's what the Pharisees say. The Pharisees look at what's going on and say, who can, they literally say, who can forgive sins but God? Here's Jesus taking the prerogative of God to himself. And so they question him. Only God can do that. And what does he say? He says, which is easier to do? Which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for me to say to this lame man, get up and walk? And it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's, hard to verify, right? You can't really check me on that one. But if I say, get up and walk, that's harder to say because immediately you're going to know. And so he says, so that you know that I have power to forgive sins, the prerogative of God to forgive sins, I will say, get up and walk, and the man walks. And so Jesus stands here at the side of a grave, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and anybody else who would have heard it would be immediately questioning it. But Jesus says, I will show you. Right? Doesn't he say to Lazarus, come forth? And he does. He demonstrates his power over life and over death, not as an end in itself, Not for the applause, not for entertainment, not so people will be stunned, not so people will be awed. He does it to reveal himself, to show himself to them as worthy of their faith, worthy of their trust, worthy of their lives. He is the Savior, the Messiah, God come to save his people, to draw people to himself in faith. He tells the disciples, if you remember back in verse 15, back in verse 15, he's he's told that Lazarus, he tells his disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Jesus, you know, if Martha and Mary had heard him say that, I'm glad I wasn't there. Feelings would be hurt. He is making this statement to them, and he tells them why. Because, so that you may believe. He's after them in all of this. He's after the hearts of men and women to put their faith and their trust in Him as their God and as their Savior. And so, whoever believes will live. When Jesus says this to them, we must understand it means so much more. So much more than simply extending this physical life. Whoever believes in me will live, and he's going to raise a dead man back to this life. But it means so much more than that. That That's the least of what it means, is that he can do that. The raising of Lazarus points to power and authority over everything. He is the Lord and giver of life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away the The Lord brings down and the Lord raises up from the dead. He is the resurrection and He is the life. And the one who believes will live includes 
he's talking here then about spiritual life and about spiritual resurrection and about the resurrection on the last day. This is but the doorway. And so in John 5, they're under your third point. John chapter 5, he says, An hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice. That is the voice of the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He called himself the Son of Man more than he called himself anymore. An Old Testament messianic title that he takes to himself and he says, An hour is coming and all who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they will come out, those who have done good, to a resurrection unto life. Those who have done evil unto a resurrection of judgment. There is an ultimate and final resurrection and it will be His voice who calls forth the dead. It will be His voice that raises the world at the end of time. It will be Jesus in His power acting. The ultimate and final resurrection to judgment or to life. Whoever believes in Me will live. But these, this future resurrection, this big resurrection, which is the ultimate and final that we are pointing to, depends on two others. And stay with me here. Two other resurrections. The resurrection of Christ Himself and a resurrection that you and I need to experience in this life, a spiritual resurrection now. It's what Christ calls us to as He calls us to faith. And so that resurrection on that day, which He says will be to judgment or to life, and if it's to life, it's going to depend on these two resurrections. Of course, Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate demonstration of His authority and His power that everything He said is true. And when he says it's, the life is in the Son, and whoever has the Son has life, that he was telling the truth. In fact, there in your bulletin, Romans 1.4, under the fourth point, Romans chapter 1 opens up saying that he, Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power. Not in words, he's not just saying I'm the resurrection of life, he is declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness or through the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our risen King, Son of God. But His resurrection is more than a demonstration, isn't it? He doesn't rise from the dead just to show us, just to demonstrate who He is. It, it is actually a work in, in the process of our salvation, that He is the firstborn among many brothers, that His resurrection actually creates the way, makes the way possible for our own resurrections to follow in His wake. He goes forward first to rise from the grave as a man who lived and died and rises on the far side and says, as you're, if you believe in Me, that you will rise with Me. But there's a second resurrection that must take place now, and it's it's our own. Every one of us needs to have experienced this resurrection if we hope to experience that resurrection unto life. Jesus says in 26, everyone who lives and believes in me now will live. They will never die. If you come to faith now, he says, if you come to faith in me now, it will change your destiny. You will never die. If you come to faith in me now, you receive something, an everlasting life, an indestructible life that's united to mine. And you won't die, not in the sense, not in the spiritual, the ultimate, and the eternal sense. But you may have to pass through what 
the way of all flesh, which is the grave. But to come to faith in Christ, he says, is an everlasting life. Back in John chapter 5, 24, he says, it's there in your bulletin, the fourth point. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Now. There's this life that he, that he gives, that he will give now. And he says, if you have it now, look what he says next. He will not come into judgment, but he's passed from death unto life. He said that day is coming when all will come out of the grave. Some will be raised and be resurrected to judgment, and some will be resurrected to life. And here he says, if you believe in me, you will not come into judgment. You've already passed into life now. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. It's there in the fourth point. When he says, when you, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Right? When we were dead, past tense, he made us alive, past tense. He says, this is what it means to come to faith in Christ. That you were dead, you were outside of spiritual life, eternal life. Your destiny was that resurrection unto judgment. He says, once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he says, but God, in his, who is rich in mercy, through faith in Christ, made us alive with Christ. By his grace we're saved. From what? From that resurrection unto judgment. By his grace we're saved. And we enter into life. You were dead, but not anymore. This is a picture, you were dead, and now he's made you alive. Is that not resurrection? And that's the resurrection that you and I must experience now. We must come to believe in Christ in such a way that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we have been made alive to God through faith in Christ. Raised from the dead. Jesus also calls this, as another metaphor, he calls it being born again. Back in John chapter 3, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And its destiny is judgment. But that, he says, which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the Spirit, that which is brought into being, who is given spiritual life or is raised from spiritual death into spiritual life, emerges these metaphors. Where there was no spiritual life, God pours out His Spirit and He raises us from the dead. And he says, whoever believes in me, whoever will put their faith in me, whoever will take me to the center of their lives as their Lord and their King and their Savior will live. Do you believe in him this morning? Have you put Christ at the center of your life? Have you believed in him the way that he he is calling people to believe in him in this text? Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, is that you this morning? Have you responded? Have you Put your heart in His hands, your life into His care. Trusted Him as your Savior. We serve a risen Christ. But my friends, it's more than that. It's not just that He is risen. He is the resurrection. He is the life giver. He is the one who is not who is Lord over not only life and death, but as I said before, by extension, is Lord over everything. It is only the creator of all things and calls all things into existence who gives life in this way. 
And when one who is, and if we understand, then this is a statement about who Christ is. And when we put our faith in him, and the Bible says, do you not know that you've become a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know you've become the dwelling place of God? Don't you know that when you put your faith in Christ, he pours out his spirit into our lives. And the one who is the resurrection and the life comes to fill your life, right? Comes to fill your soul, comes to dwell in your Life. He brings the power of a new life. And this is where, it, 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 where it's, this is not rhetoric, this is not philosophy, this is not empty talk and up in the, in, in the atmosphere when we say Jesus is the resurrection of the life and that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and he makes us alive in Christ. That life is a real life. We are, we are literally raised from the dead spiritually and the Spirit of God takes up residence within us and He becomes the power of a new and a changed life that goes from serving ourselves and being infatuated with the world to knowing and loving the God who made us and moving toward Him to live a life that knows Him and loves Him and pleases Him and serves Him. I've been raised to spiritual life. I've been reoriented. Paul mentions it like this in Romans 6.4 under your last point in the bulletin. He says, We were therefore buried with Him by baptism into death in order that Christ, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, just as Christ has already been raised, we too might live and walk in a newness of life. All right, that that baptism there, I don't think, is baptism with water. I think it's baptism with the Holy Spirit. I think it proves too much if that's water baptism. I think here it's an immersion into the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And when we are connected to Christ and His death and resurrection by faith, we too then are full of His Spirit and are, are given the potential of a newness. Romans 6.11, just a few lines away in Romans, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive. Alive to God in a way that you never have been before. Where other things lose their power and their attraction. God is real. God is who He is. Jesus comes to live and reign in us. Colossians 3, if you then have been raised with Christ, which is the presumption that you have. You've been resurrected spiritually if you put your faith in Him. Then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Like a plant on a sunny day like today, you can go out and you can see if you have plants in the windows, all of their leaves turn. The plant literally turns itself and leans toward the sun. And he says, as, as Christ, if, if, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. You know, that, that, that the fullness of our lives turns and presses in where Christ is, His purposes and His plans, His power, His resources. Let me just apply that really quickly as we close. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, it's there in your bulletin, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about the affliction that we experienced in Asia. And every one of us could put something in there. If you're young, you may not have a lot of affliction yet, but most of us could put something in there. I don't want you to be ignorant about the affliction that I've been going through, whether it's medical or spiritual or marital or relationship-wise or at work or a thousand things. We all go through them. He says, I, 
let me tell you about these things. He says, it was, these, these difficulties were so bad, we utterly were burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. It was bad. He said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It happened so that we would not rely on ourselves. And this is to say, God is at work to wean us off our self-reliance and to understand that we have a Savior who is the resurrection and the life. And He is able to do all things. And so God is at work teaching us to abandon trust in ourselves and to rely on the God who raises the dead because we don't do it as naturally. We don't do it the way we should, but God is coming to us to help us to know and to feel our own weakness so that we will reach out, seek the power of Christ, the power of the one who is the resurrection. I can almost hear Paul as he cries in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. The context is that he could live in wealth or in poverty with contentment, that he's able to, to deal with to, deprivation as well as anything else. He can do anything, but his life bears out that he could do anything through Christ. He can survive shipwreck and snake biting and beatings and everything else that comes into his life. He says, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. I have a Christ. I have a Savior who is resurrection and who is life and who lives in me. And what does this mean for our situations as I look around and I'm, I'm thinking sometimes as as we deal with our different life situations and our, where are our eyes fixed? You think there's a relationship that's beyond repair. You think it's broken. And you say, oh well, I'll just avoid them. Oh well, I'll just leave it go. Or oh well. And I think the Bible, I think Christ would look at us and say, really? Jesus says at one point, if you're offering, you're offering at the altar and there you remember someone has something against you, go and make it right. God says, he's, he's, he's the resurrection. He is a relationship repairer because he brings people to repentance and to faith and to forgiveness and mercy and he changes people, right? Relationships beyond repair, a person beyond saving, a sin that is beyond overcoming, something you've been wrestling with for years or something that you're dealing with and you are tempted to believe the lies of your enemy that will tell you, I've got you. You'll never get out of this. I have bound you into the grave. Jesus says, no, sin will not be your master because I am your Savior and I am the resurrection and I am the life. And all those, you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. I, I think in terms of marriages, as I sit with folks in, in marriage counseling and, and people who come and we sit and we look at it and I hear people say, I don't love them anymore. The feelings are gone. I, there's nothing left. In all, there's nothing left but irreconcilable differences in divorce. And I say, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Is it not? God raises the dead. Two people who know him and love him. If there's something killing that marriage, it's unrepentant sin. Lift up your eyes. If we rely on ourselves, you're right. If you sit there and all you can see is your ability to fix things, then you're right. It's inevitable. But if you lift up your eyes in faith, God, Jesus says, I am the resurrection right now. <laughs> I am life right now. 
My friends, Jesus tells Mary that he is the resurrection and the life. And then he asks her this crucial question. Do you believe this? Mary, do you believe this? Do you believe this? My friends, as you go from here today, I pray that you will seek a risen Christ. And whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're dealing with, that you will lift your eyes in faith faith, and see Christ. Jesus wants to know, do we believe in him? Not in some generic and farcical and theoretical way out there, but do you have a risen Christ who lives in you, who makes it possible all things for his own glory and for our good? Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we have come this morning, we bow our knees again and we confess that we are a forgetful people. (laughs) It is so hard to remember the things that we say we believe in and we drift from the power of the truth into an empty form. But we would be reacquainted with the power of this truth, which is the power of Christ. We would know you. We would, whoever would come to you and believe in you will live. Would you pour out your life into our lives this day? Would you raise us from the dead spiritually if we have been cast down? Would you lift us up? If we have been despairing, would you give us hope? If we have been quitting, would you give us the power of a conqueror? Would you work within us and through us to accomplish it? the good purposes of your kingdom and your glory through a people who have abandoned themselves to you. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.